This is the Roots Running Podcast, an audio documentary on our post-collegiate group out of Boulder, Colorado. I'm Richie Hansen, host and head coach of the Roots Running Project, and in this episode, I'll be recapping the individual seasons of each athlete on our team from this past spring, as well as previewing Noah Drotti and Aaliyah Gray's Chicago Marathon Outlook for this weekend. If you like the content we're providing, please follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Roots underscore running and like or write a review of our podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes. In addition, our group survives off of support like yours, so please check out our limited edition gear sale on our website at rootsrunning.org. Proceeds from purchasing our gear directly benefit the athletes in our group. The sale ends on October 11th, so get your Roots running items before it's too late. Thank you for your support and hope you enjoy our latest podcast. Aliyah pointed out to me earlier today while we were chatting that Coach Vigil has always said each of his athletes comes with their own set of challenges. Just a matter of what challenges each one of them are facing. And that's going to be the case with any team, with any coach. Hey guys, and thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Roots Running Podcast. We are sitting here two days before the Chicago Marathon. I'm currently sitting in the closet of my hotel room recording this to try to cut down on some of the city noise, but figured this was a good chance for me to recap this past spring, detail Aaliyah and Noah's training slash racing preview going into Chicago, and kind of give a glimpse of what what we've got going on moving forward, Um, and hopefully give some context into all of their performances. Um, the, the interesting thing, I think when you look at adding new athletes, especially younger post-collegiates is that adjustment period. And when we reflect back on Noah, Katie, Mara, their adjustment periods, although not without some hiccups also was pretty seamless. And the new crop of athletes that we got this past fall when our group became an official group, and I call it an official group because up to that point we hadn't, we had called it the Roots Running Project, but we hadn't really like fully organized it into an official training group. Whereas this past fall we became an official nonprofit, we saw a larger influx of athletes that that warranted us to, to kind of organize ourselves. So the crop that we got last last fall which included Andy, Molly, Margaret, Brian, Willie. They all were decent athletes with some with some ability that we're excited about, um, but we knew that there would be that adjustment period. And this past spring kind of served as that adjustment period. So it's always interesting when you can look back and then again a, a year from now look back again to kind of see the jumps that they've made, the gains that they made, or vice versa if, if they've kind of struggled. Um, and it's... Everything from at least my perspective as the coach is a learning curve because you learn how different personalities, how different abilities kind of approach the sport, approach the new training, especially one like our ours that does carry a certain level of intensity associated with it. So 
this is kind of going to be my my coaching introspective of when I when I look back at each of their seasons, kind of some of the thoughts that that go through, um, analyzing whether they were able to handle the training or not. To start, I'll kind of touch on Katie and Mara, um, who recently left our group. Katie, I had actually coached her since she was a junior in high school um, and was excited to see what she potentially could do as a post-collegiate. Um, and she was moving back to Colorado after finishing her undergrad at Swarthmore College, um, where she won the D3 1500 title and was runner-up in the 5K. Um, we were really excited to see, because we knew she had a lot of untapped talent, um, and had a lot of ability that just wasn't able to achieve in college, partially because of how undertrained she was coming out of high school, going into college. So she actually had immediate success when she started on the post-collegiate level. She placed top five at two road miles. She PR'd by 30 plus seconds in her first 5k of the season at the Boston indoor meet. She went from like a 1630 girl down to 1552, I believe. Um, so it was a pretty big jump for her almost immediate. We saw that that improvement continue into the indoor season at the, at the start of the year in 2017, where she PR'd by another 10 plus seconds in the mile running 436, somewhere around there, um, at the, the Husky invite. Um, and then we saw that confidence even trickle over more at the USATF indoor meet, uh, where she finished fifth, and that was a pretty exciting for me to wa- meet for me to watch because at the mile point she jumps right in front, wasn't afraid to kind of take the lead against some pretty talented women, um, and ended up hanging on for fifth. So that was a pretty good indicator that she was she was starting to show some success as a post collegiate. She had obviously the ability to compete with some of the best women in the country, and we were excited to potentially see what she could do this spring. Now, simultaneously to that, she was also pursuing her PhD in aerospace engineering. And in that spring, it was towards the end of her first year as as a grad student, she started having more of a introspective of, is aerospace engineering what she actually wants to do? And she ended up deciding she wanted to switch gears and pursue med school. So Unfortunately for us, she she decided she wanted to move to Chicago to pursue med school. Her boyfriend, Spencer, lives in Chicago, and Northwestern seemed like a good fit for her. And she's a very, very intelligent girl. So selfishly, obviously, from a coaching side, you see the ability. You see how she's starting to handle training, racing as a post-collegiate, and know that she has the, the talent to continue to improve. But at the same time... She also running for her was an ancillary, ancillary endeavor, and so pursuing med school was where her heart lied. And so, from a coaching side, selfishly, you're like, oh, you have so so much ability. Like, I, I wish you would at least want to do it until the next Olympic cycle. But as as I see different athletes ad- adapt to that post collegiate realm. You can definitely see that, like, you can't force passion on somebody. And and if someone's heart is not fully invested, if someone has other interests that they're more passionate about, they're better off pursuing that other that other endeavor. Because 
it's it's tough to kind of fake fake passion, especially if you're racing against people that do have that passion. So um, we wish Katie well, and with Mara, similar 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 kind of path with Katie. We knew Mara was applying to med school when when we first took her on two years ago. We knew she was smart enough that she was going to be able to get into med school. And it was just a matter of when that trajectory would ultimately lead her into grad school. She actually found out she got into med school last spring. And so we knew it was something that was going to happen, whether it be last year or this year. Um, and she ended up getting into one of the best med schools in the country, if not the best, UC San Francisco. Um, and she was she deferred a year to kind of see what she could do as a, a post-collegiate runner before before turning gears into being a med student. She, like many post-collegiates that first year out of college, had some ups and downs. Um, but this last year, we started seeing her come into her own, especially on the roads, um, placing top 10 at a few of the U.S. championships and another top 10 finish this spring at the U.S. Half Marathon Champs. Um, she also placed as the top American and third place overall at the Wharf to Wharf race this past summer. Luckily for me, too, she still wants to continue pursuing post-collegiate running, and so I'll still be riding her training while while she jumps into some of the, the road races this, this fall. She'll be racing this weekend at Rock and Roll San Jose, and I think she's in a good position where she could set a, a pretty decent half-marathon PR. So it'll be fun to, for me to kind of see what she can do, especially knowing that she's balancing out the medical school program in addition to... Uh, trying to be a post-collegiate runner, which is obviously very, very challenging, and she's handling it pretty well. Now, with the rest of the athletes, we knew that there was going to be some developmental adjustment period. Katie and Mara had the benefit of me writing them training over the past past couple of years. Noah and Aaliyah, who we'll get to later, uh, very similarly, I've been with them for a couple of years. The other athletes, this was their first year with me writing their training. And so it was interesting to see how each of them would do because they all came with their own backstory. Aaliyah pointed out to me earlier today while we were chatting that Coach Vigil has always said each of his athletes comes with their own set of challenges. Just a matter of what challenges each one of them are facing. And that's going to be the case with any team, with any coach. You're going to see athletes ride highs, you're also going to see them reach lows. And we saw no different this spring. And to me, the biggest thing with each of those, whether it be a high or a low, is how the athlete responds and keeps moving forward and how they decide to structure themselves to improve on those performances that they've shown in the past. So as I reflect back on, on this past season and I see how they handled certain levels of training and what events we might be gearing them up for in the future, we always are reflecting on what's going to be the next step, what's going to be the next course to, to be able to give them the best chance to continue developing. So with Brian, Brian Lamas, who was a graduate of Iowa State, he is a 1500 3K, 5K guy. Now, when I look back on his spring, he struggled a little bit. And it's not for lack of effort of what we see in training. We see him hit the workouts as I have them written. But we also see that lack of transfer when it comes to a competition. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. 
they train really well, but then when they get into a competition, they don't perform up to their level of expectation, up to their coach's level of expectation. And Brian is somebody that really, really loves the sport. And almost to a fault. He loves the sport so much, wants to continue pursuing professional running as long as he can. But sometimes he can also put that intrinsic pressure on himself to the point that it negatively impacts his ability to compete up to the level of his expectation. And so that's something that we knew coming in. Brian had shown some decent uh, performances while he was at Iowa State. He was a walk-on at Iowa State, but was a key contributor to their team, both in cross-country and at track. And so to me, it's not that he doesn't have the ability because he's shown that as a walk-on, he's been able to be a key contributor at a high-profile program at Division One. But it's how to do that consistently and how to train the mind, how to keep the nerves calm going into competitions so that they don't negatively impact him. And he's someone that when he goes into a competition, he gets really excited and sometimes has a tough time holding himself back, not being with the lead pack, not going out up front. And so that's been a learning experience, learning how to ease that excitement, calm the excitement so that when you're in those later stages of the race, you can tap into what the training has geared you towards. So we we have seen some decent performances that would indicate what we're kind of looking for. He, he ran a 411 mile on the roads up here at altitude, which is tough on, on a course that has a ton of turns against good competition. But we've also seen the opposite end of the spectrum where He's run a 421 mile down at sea level against good competition or kind of fades at the end of heats that we feel like he'd be able to compete really well in. Now, the flip side, too, is he's raced mostly miles in 1500s this spring, and that was by intent because I see Brian as going to be a, a pretty solid 5K runner. His favorite event and probably his best event to date is his 3K but what he lacks in the 5K and the 3K is some of the, the closing speed and the the ability to go with faster paces early on that you need to show at that post-collegiate level. So I had him perform mostly 1500s and miles to be able to work on some of his foot, foot speed, even though knowing in the future he will he will primarily be more of a 5K runner. Now, I know he loves the mile and he loves the 1500, and that is what he would like to see himself PR in. But we also know that you're kind of tr- preparing your future for what your ideal event might be. The 5K I see as that ideal event. And so this next year, he'll be able to run a couple 5Ks, and we'll be able to see whether that strategy paid off, working on some of the foot speed to be able to, to move him up in distance to that 5K. But we needed this year, both as that adjustment period out of college for the first time, learn how to kind of manage living on your own, getting a job, paying your way to competitions, and then racing a new level of competition that you're unaccustomed to as a collegiate athlete. Even though you do race post-collegiates as a collegiate, depending on the meets that you're entered into, consistently training against post-collegiates is a different story. Noah Mara saw the same thing their first year out of out of college, um, and Noah this last year um, being in some of those higher-profile road championships or, or track championships. But 
it does take time to kind of learn how to perform at that level consistently. With Molly, Molly had her own set of circumstances that, that were challenging when, when she first moved out. Molly, if, if, if people aren't familiar with her backstory, and we might end up doing a special podcast on this in the future, as a sophomore in college, was in a pretty serious car accident. And after that car accident, had repeated bouts of vertigo, dizziness as it related to running and and competing that certain times during her college career it would be at bay and then certain times it would creep up and significantly impact her ability to compete. Also her last season at Oregon she was struggling with with some chronic fatigue issues and so that was something when she first moved out we were trying to help her work through the chronic fatigue, learning a little bit about what stimuluses she could or could not perform based on some of the vertigo dizziness issues same thing with her adjusting to altitude, ad adjusting to a new training environment, learning how to manage being an adult on your own for the first time as opposed to being in a, in a collegiate system where you can go to the cafeteria and you, you don't have bills that you have to worry about on a month-to-month -month basis. So for her, some of that living, living circumstances were, was an adjustment period, but also still working your way out of that hole that she saw her last, her, the, the latter part of her senior year. We saw some, some glimpses that kind of give a hint at she is a talented runner and she could be very good at the post-collegiate level if we can manage some of the physiological stuff. She opened her season at the Stanford Invite and ran 1601, which matched her season best uh, at her senior year at Oregon. But then we slowly saw a drop off towards the end of the spring. She ran another 5K, which was a 1617 at Mount Sac. We ended up not having her compete at the Peyton Jordan 10K, instead, instead opting for her to go up to the Oregon uh, Relay Meet and run a 1500 to work some leg speed. And then the, the big race for this year was going to be the Portland Track Festival where we were going to have her race the 10K. Now the day, the day or two days before that Portland Track 10K, she got a serious bout of vertigo, which she hadn't experienced since uh, the end of her senior year at Oregon. It was a long travel day. She had a lot of coffee. Um, felt that that may have triggered some of that. It got to the point where she was only able to run maybe a mile of the race before starting getting pretty bad tunnel vision, vertigo symptoms kind of twisting sideways, pretty nauseous, and ended up having to drop out of that race. So at that point, her and I decided to switch gears of instead of focusing on training racing, we need to figure out what is the trigger, why this keeps happening. And so now we have her consulting with some MDs down at, at CU Denver Sports Medicine to try to figure out why why some of these triggers come up at certain times. Is this related to some of the chronic fatigue issues? Is this related to some of the, the post-concussive car accident issue? And trying to get a better sense of what types of training she might be able to to perform without it setting off or triggering some of those symptoms. So when you're, when you're on the medical side, you, you look at every patient as a puzzle and trying to fit together what's the best course of action to rehab an injury. And this is no different, but it's from also a coaching side where you're trying to understand 
what is going to negatively and positively trigger certain responses in each individual athlete. And so there has to be some individualization to coaching. And that's also the benefit of having a coach locally versus having a coach remotely because I'm, I see every rep that they perform out at workouts and I get the feedback from them on an in, in, immediate basis. And not saying that remote coaching can't work for some, but it works well when things are going well. And it's very, very difficult when things start going poorly because you don't get the immediate response right away. And that's where the communication comes into play too. And we harp on that, that the thing that, that frustrates me the most is when an athlete doesn't clearly communicate how they're feeling or, or what their thought process is, or if they're managing something that's a little bit sore, that clear communication makes a big difference in terms of timeline of whether an injury is coming on or whether you can manage something pretty seamlessly so that training time does not get inhibited. Andy and Margaret were going to be some of those athletes where the injury risk was something that we had to pay constant attention to. Andy and Margaret, who we had on a previous podcast, had both emphasized the injury rate that they both had in their undergrad careers. Andy was someone that was was hurt almost every season, but still was able to compete every season. Whereas Margaret didn't have any track seasons when she was in college because she was constantly hurt. So even though you see ability in both of them, the primary goal this year was, can we keep them healthy for long periods of time? Now, Margaret came out with a stress fracture. When she moved out to Boulder, she had a boot on. But since that boot has come off, she has been pretty injury-free, which I think we achieved the goal of, of what we wanted to see. Both of them hadn't competed in two years. They both graduated in 2015. 2016 was, for the most part, off. Both of them started training again towards the beginning of summer 2016. And so when they were moving out here, it was, one, they needed to get back in shape. Two, they needed to stay healthy. Three, they needed to learn how to race again since they both had such long layoffs. And I think both of them did that pretty well. Margaret, I see similar to Brian as going to be a pretty good 5 care. But being that she had such a long layoff, being that she never really had a true track season in college, I felt the best course was also to switch her down to the 1500. Being able to keep her at a little lower volume, let her build on some of her leg speed, let her get used to racing again, even though... Her ability is better served as a 5K runner. And she had never really raced the 1500, so it was going to be a new event for her, so no previous preconceived notions of what she should expect. And I thought she did pretty well. She placed second in her heat at the Oxy Invite. She placed, I, th I believe it was 13th at the Mount Sac Relays in her first 1500 ever. Uh, she ran a 421 as a PR, which I thought was pretty good for a new event. And if we look back, like Ali and I talk sometimes about how to us, even though she's a post-collegiate runner, she's really almost like a college freshman or a, a sophomore in college in terms of training and racing in her legs. So she really hasn't had that many opportunities. 
And so she's still learning what it means to compete, what it means for race tactics. And even though she's, she showed decent performances at Iowa State with her indoor track races, outdoor track is still a little bit different when it comes to when to make a move in certain points in the race and how to manage maneuvering through a pack and not panicking if you're starting to get strung out too far behind a pack because it can it can yo-yo back together pretty quickly. So her, I thought, racing and training consistently for this past year was goal number one checked off. Performing pretty well in a new event was goal number two. And we saw that again this past week where she placed third place at the Navy Mile, running a mile PR of 448. And in a very similar race, last year, Katie, in her first professional race, or her second professional race, placed fifth at that same race in a faster field, in a deeper field, and ran 449. And so Margaret, running 448 and placing third in a slower field this year, is pretty encouraging for where we see her trajectory might be when we start going into spring this year, indoors this winter, of some of the things that we could not expect, but hope that she'd be able to to build upon spring to fall, and especially if she can stay healthy and just see consistency with training and racing. Andy, very similarly to Margaret, had the longest block without injury of his career. Andy had given up the sport after college for about a year, nine months to a year, um, because he was constantly hurt. He's had two knee surgeries, um, dealt a lot with some shin issues, and but he and he, he started coaching at a high school up in Jackson, Wyoming, where he grew up. But he is a closet track nerd, just loves the sport, follows it to a T, um, and just decided he wanted to give it one last chance before committing to some other career path. So Andy moved out here, was pretty out of shape last summer, and. L- Worked last fall to get some aerobic fitness back. Andy, when you see him run, is a beautiful runner with his mechanics. Has some pretty decent acceleration, pretty decent top end speed. He just looks like a middle distance guy. His challenge or struggle is always going to be the aerobic component, which he didn't really get much in high school or college, but had has some decent speed to complement what he lacks for in the aerobic side. So our focus has been we we want to build some of his aerobic strength, knowing that eventually we want to try him at something, whether it be the steeple or the 5K down the road. But we first want him to be able to set some pretty decent marks in the 800 and the, and the 1500. Similar to Margaret, he hadn't raced in two years, so it's learning how to race again. And again, it's good post-collegiate competition. And I thought he did really well as well. He won his heat at the San Francisco State invite to open up his outdoor spring season. He PR'd in the 800 meters, which happened to be up in Boulder at altitude. He placed third in his heat at Mount Sac Relays and fourth in his heat at the Oxy Classic. And set uh, second fastest times of his career. He ran a 345 for the 1500 um, when his PR was 343 while he was at Gonzaga. And we felt he was someone too that was ready 
to make a big jump once he got to spring in terms of what those performances might look like. Unfortunately for him, his spring track season got cut short because as he was pushing off the starting line at the Oxy High Performance Meet, he felt a pop in his planter and wasn't able to finish the race. He he ran, I think, the first 600 of it before the pain started getting a little bit worse and so ended up dropping out of that race. We got an MRI that showed a partial planter tear. And so his month of June and into July was spent in a boot. Now, like I said, he struggled with some injury stuff in the past. Part of that is, I think, because of his height, he's got really long levers. So when he's generating a lot of force, he just puts a lot of tension through that tissue. But at the same time, I think it's also a testament to the work that he's done over this past year in terms of some of the strength, conditioning, injury, prehab work. Because even though he partially tore his planner in June, or in, uh, in early May, sorry, it, he was able to start running again at the end of June. So he missed about four weeks in a boot and then started walk running. And it, it took him until he started doing workouts about eight weeks. So for a partially torn planter, which can sometimes take people out for a while, and especially with the injury that history that he's had, I feel like eight weeks of mistraining slash rehab to being able to get back into pretty decent volume, pretty decent training again come July, August, um, was also something that that we could be encouraged about. The key with any post-collegiate training, I feel like, is limiting the amount of time lost due to injury or illness. And one of the things that I feel like has aided Mara and Noah's trajectory the past two years is their ability to stay healthy and consistently train. And that's something that we saw with Aaliyah when she first started with Coach Hill. So for Andy, missing eight weeks sucked, but at the same time, it was only eight weeks which in the grand scheme of things is not that much. We heard a story this last this last summer about Sheila Reed where she had nine months of no no running after after she ran the Prefontaine meet last year to when she started getting back into workouts. And fortunately for all of our athletes, they didn't have that that much of time lost to where they they've been able to train consistently that now as we enter year two that's where we should start to see those returns. Now, Willie also had to rehab an injury this year. Similar to Andy, he's a pretty tall guy, pretty long levers, and he's also someone that he gets excited about his training and excited about his fitness that sometimes he can overdo what's written on paper. And that's something that we constantly harp on. Don't try to exceed the paces that you write because you run the risk of constantly overexerting yourself, which increases the risk of injury. And for all of you guys listening at home, the goal of the day with any workout isn't to beat the workout. It's to do the workout the way it's written to the best of your ability and make it feel controlled as possible. You can always increase speeds. You can always increase volumes in future sessions, but you need to give your body proper time to adapt to the sessions that you already have written. Trust your coaches. Your coaches are writing those workouts a specific way because of what it means. And coaches, if you're listening to this and you have an athlete that's constantly outperforming what you're writing, you should temper your excitement. 
because it's easy as a coach to see an athlete crushing a workout and think that, my God, they're in great shape. But they could also be overexerting the effort that you wrote on the day. And the athletes, it's easy to get excited that you crushed a workout and the next time out that you do a very similar one, you feel the need that you need to run even faster than you did the time before. But it becomes that repetitive cycle that it eventually comes catches up to you. And Willie saw this 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 past winter. He was doing an acceleration workout on the track, felt a pull in his quad on his left side which took him out for a couple weeks. And then he comes back into training and he starts feeling his IT band on that side. Then he starts feeling the IT band on the other side. Then it moves back to the left side. And so we would slowly build him back into training and then we would have this hiccup with something from an overuse standpoint that we've had to constantly harp on, don't try to exceed what I'm writing, just do what I'm writing so that we don't run the risk of overexerting areas. And it also gave us a chance to address some dysfunctional movement patterns that he had. Pretty long levers with a lot of internal femoral rotation that constantly leads, leads to overtension of certain areas. So he was able to start getting back into normal training to start summer and unfortunately missed all of spring with racing. But again, we were trying to build a better distance runner by doing doing things that he was weak in while he was coming back in injury. And we saw a glimpse of his return to fitness this past weekend at the U.S. 10 Mile Champs. He ended up finishing, I believe it was 23rd or 24th overall against a pretty loaded deep field. And obviously when you're looking at it on paper, you're like, okay, we know he can go faster. We know he wants to place higher, but it's also the longest race he's ever competed in. It's also when you compare what he's doing up at, in some of his training, it's the best sustained effort he's ever had. We also see him as being similar to Noah, more of a long distance guy. He'll be a half marathoner. He'll be a marathoner eventually, but we first need to establish some decent speeds at the 5k and the 10k. And he's someone that we just need to pay constant attention to building some of the coordination at the hips, building some general athleticism, building some tissue resiliency at areas that he's susceptible to, and also making sure that he keeps his excitement in check to make sure that he's not overexerting on a frequent basis. So Willie, although he was rehabbing an injury for most of spring, we see the ability and we see the potential as we do with all the athletes. Now to harp back on what I said earlier where Coach V Hill said all athletes comes with their own set of challenges and that tends to be the case. You also want to make sure that any setback that you have, you don't get discouraged with. I had an athlete that asked me this past week, not one of our athletes, but an athlete that I've worked with in the past of how long do you keep going with setbacks before you decide I just shouldn't keep going anymore? And my point was you keep going as long as you want to keep going. If you get injured and you're able to rehab and you get back into the sport and you get hurt again, it's an opportunity to kind of reflect back and say, okay, why did this happen? If you make some changes and you get hurt again, same situation. You reflect back and why did that happen? What worked? What went poorly? 
And if you get to the point that you're just tired of rehabbing injuries and your excitement for the sport starts to to waffle and you start finding some other interests that that engages you a little bit more or excites you a little bit more, well then do that. I have a friend who's a pretty good Spartan racer and she used to be a pretty good track runner, a pretty good road racer, but kept seeing repetitive injuries and so switched to trail running, got convinced to do a Spartan race and now she's performing really well at Spartan races. And so ultimately, excitement for whatever it is that you're working towards has to be there. And so with all of our athletes, all of them are working through their own stuff. Now let's switch gears and after I talked about how the rest of our team has done this spring, now we've got one of the biggest races on our fall schedule, and that's the Chicago Marathon. And Noah and Aaliyah both had their own set of challenges this spring, and and have both come out of it relatively unscathed. So let's start with Noah. So Noah ran his awesome half marathon in March, the 61.48. And the goal from there was to then switch gears back to track, try to go for a track 10K PR at the Peyton Jordan invite, knowing that it would be a good field and a good opportunity to run a fast time, and then try to place well at the U.S. track championships before getting into the marathon block. So on paper after the half, that was the plan. But we got a curveball when he raced the Peyton Jordan 10K. His Mount Sac 5K went decent. He PR'd by two seconds, so it was a small PR, and he led a pretty decent amount of, of that race. And he's emphasized that he, he didn't feel fully recovered physically or mentally after the half when he ran that 5K. And that we, we knew that going in, but the purpose of doing that 5K was to start getting the legs turning over a little bit faster so that when he did the Peyton Jordan 10K, he'd be ready to race against a very, very good field. Peyton Jordan has a long history of being the most consistent, perfect weather of any track race in the U.S. Unfortunately, this was not the year for it. It ended up being a pretty windy year where the athletes got a pretty strong headwind on one of the home stretches. So the times just didn't reflect the level of competition that was in there. The top end of the field still ended up running pretty fast, um, but not as fast as we knew that they had wanted to go. Noah was no different. He ended up tying his PR. He ran 28-22, but about halfway through the race, he he made a poor gear choice. He he wore the same socks he wore in New York, which was a double-layer pair of socks. Wasn't an issue in New York when he was running on the roads. The issue came when he was racing the track race. Uh, with all the turns of a 10K, it's 25 laps on the track. Started getting some friction blisters on the balls of his feet from the double layers of the socks rubbing together. So when he fi- he started feeling that about halfway through the race, he could feel like the blisters feeling on, filling on the balls of his feet. And so it affected his ability to accelerate when the pace shifted that latter half of the race. So he ended up running 14, around 14 flat for the first 5K of that race and then ran 14.22 for the second 5K and tied his PR. Which, on paper, we're like, okay, that was... That was a, at least he tied his PR, but we, we both felt that he was in shape, that he, he was ready to PR, maybe run under 28.15, and if everything fell in line, be able to go for a sub-28 day. Unfortunately, blisters, socks kind of affected that ability. But what that led to after the race was 
he couldn't run for four days because it was too tender to put weight on those blisters. And then when he did get back into running, he found himself favoring those blisters and so was walking and running kind of up on his toes. And that caused Achilles inflammation on both sides at the same time, exact same presentation. And we tried to give it a down week to let the inflammation clear. It just wasn't clearing. We ended up giving him two, uh, I believe it was 10 days off of running completely and then tried to get back into running. Pain was still there. Inflammation was still there. And so we made the tough decision to just shut down the season at that point, knowing that he wanted to do this marathon buildup this fall, but also concerned that we were miss losing time to be able to make, yeah, maybe we could get him to the U.S. track championships feeling good, but at the same time, would he be in decent fitness to compete against the guys that he was going to? So we made the decision, okay, well, shut it down now, get it healthy, and then be able to build back in for for this marathon buildup. So he took four weeks of down period, didn't run, just rested, let it, let it calm down a little bit. And then when he started back into running, it was at the end of June and starting with a little bit of walk running. And him and I were joking earlier today, isn't it crazy that in July I was doing walk running and here I am at the Chicago marathon, healthy and ready to go, which is the case. It's not the most ideal way that we would have envisioned his his marathon buildup going, but it's also the cards that we were dealt, and so we had to we had to pull an audible and and get creative with the way that his buildup was going to go to make sure that he could still hit volume that we ideally wanted him to hit, that he would be healthy on the day, and that we wouldn't run the risk of re-injuring the Achilles. And when he first started back into running, he was still sore in the Achilles, but we trusted that it would start to respond as we were gradually loading it with both strength work and volume and speed work, uh, that it wouldn't set it back. And I would check in with him daily, like, how's it feeling? How's it feeling? How's it feeling? And it's no worse. It's no worse. It's no worse. So we were able to keep that progression to, we hit a certain point where he didn't really notice it anymore. And that's for those listening at home, we'll do a separate podcast on tendon healing in the future, but that's how tendons do not like to be unloaded. They need to be loaded. They, they like to be loaded. It's the challenge is the appropriate amount of loading for tendon response, to, for tendon healing response without getting a setback. And so we timed it well. He was able to gradually progress up his, his volume and the intensity of that volume to where when we saw what he was doing in early August, those from the outside would thought, okay, he's not going to run great at the marathon, but where he was at the end of August, where he was middle of September, like he's a, his fitness is, is in a good spot right now. His most volume this spring was 80 miles a week, and that's the most that he's ever hit. And we've been able to, for the last 11 weeks, have the majority of his miles at 80 to 85 with five of those weeks being at 90. And so 90 being now the most he's ever hit and he's been able to handle it pretty well. We'll see on Sunday, obviously how he runs. It's the first time that he's, we're, we're calling it is his debut, even though it technically is not his debut. We understand that he tried to run the U S Olympic trials marathon, but he had only qualified in the half four weeks prior to that marathon. The most miles he was doing at the time was 70. And so we knew that that is not the 
that's he was not going to be ready to run a marathon on that day but we also didn't know that he would have the trajectory that he's had at this time so it was maybe he doesn't have the ability to get back to that point and so i was not about to tell noah you cannot run the u.s olympic marathon trials because who knows if you're still in the sport in four years so run the race so this technically is his true debut in terms of volume maybe not ideal by marathon standards but volume for his standards and if he can run a decent marathon off of the buildup that he's had really 11 weeks of training with the highest volume being 90 even though that's high for him then it gives us some encouraging data to work off of of what can he do when he has an ideal buildup what can he do when we're able to build him up to 100 miles a week so for me, it'll be interesting to see how, how Noah does. Not because I don't have confidence that he can't run well, but more because it gives me some, some stuff to work with for future cycles of what is his potential. I think he's in shape on a good day to be in the 211 to 21330 range. But we've said anything under 215 we'll be happy with. Because... We, we don't know how he's going to handle the 26-mile distance off of an 11-week buildup off of 90 miles a week. I think he can handle it fine, but some of that is just getting used to the distance. And so being a little conservative in that first one might be the better way to go. But I also don't want to put that rain on him of sub-215, we're happy. I think sub-215 we can live with, but I think 211 to 213.30 is where we'd ideally like to see his performance on Sunday. I think in the future, he has the ability to be a sub-210 guy, but he needs he needs time to develop into that. And I think this will be a good test on Sunday with a good American field, with a field that he can kind of latch on with. And he's someone that I feel like is pretty efficient running 5 flat to 505 miles. 5 flat being 211, 505 being 213.30, 215 being 510 pace. And so... In that range, I think we'll be comfortable with, but I think that's also pretty pretty damn good considering the buildup that he's had and also having his first setback with injury in two years of being out here. But I also think missing only four weeks of running with an Achilles injury is also pretty darn good because it shows that it He's been able to progress really well because he hasn't missed much training time. And so when we go into this marathon buildup, we can also reflect back and think, okay, well, he's had pretty consistent training for the most part over two years. So I think 211 to 213.30 isn't out of the realm of possibility. Now, obviously, we need nutrition to, to, to go well with his stomach. We need the weather to cooperate. And we need the pace to be there where he doesn't get caught by himself running a lot of it solo. So we'll see. It'll be it'll be a learning curve for both he and I, but something that we definitely know we can build off of. And we'll be, we'll we'll do a post race podcast with both he and Aaliyah to get their perspective on how they felt it went, what they learned, and what they would what they would like to see change in the future. Now with Aaliyah, similar to Noah, she's had pretty consistent training for a couple of years. However, this winter saw the longest stretch of running related lapses in training that she's ever had. Last year at Chicago, she placed 10th and was third American. 
And then after that, she struggled to get back into training, not for lack of effort, not for lack of motivation, but because she kept repetitively getting sick. She's someone that really is susceptible to respiratory infections. And so last November, right after Chicago, she ended up getting sick for about two weeks with bronchitis. Going into to Houston, she had to miss some training because she got some blood blisters on the back of her Achilles going into the Houston race, which got worse with the heat and humidity in Houston. And then right as she was getting back into training again, she got another bout of bronchitis that took her out two to three weeks. Took her two to three weeks to get healthy back into training. Had a relapse of bronchitis when we had some fires in Boulder and she was she was out on a training run and there was some smoke in the air and at the time didn't think it would bother her. But then two days later, bronchitis flared back up and it took her out another two to three weeks. So from November to the end of March, she really had about six weeks of consistent training. And that six weeks wasn't straight together. It was broken up. Whereas she would miss two to three week blocks with whether it be blood blisters, whether it be bronchitis, second bout of bronchitis, third bout of bronchitis, which obviously is going to significantly affect fitness. And so going into April, April was the month of let's see if we can train consistently for a few weeks before deciding on a race. And she wanted to do, Peyton Jordan was one that she had circled on her calendar as well. So Peyton Jordan was that first test. She had trained consistently for four weeks, even though the, the four months prior to that wasn't ideal. And it was a good opportunity to at least use it as a fitness test. And it didn't go great. She went out hard relative to her fitness and ended up fading over the second half of that race. But at least it was something to build off and give her that sense of, okay, we're back into competing again. So May was more consistency with training and was able to go into a hot 10K at the U.S. Championships and place 10th again, which was encouraging. The time, nothing to write home about, but nobody's time was on the day because of the heat. It was another top 10 finish at a U.S. Championship that allowed her to gain some confidence going into this marathon buildup. Now, this marathon buildup, she's been pretty off the radar. She hasn't really raced, and part of that was by design. It was she had missed so much consistency with training that it was about getting back consistency. And I think the thing that's exciting for us is since she's been with Coach V Hill, she hasn't hit 100 miles a week. And this was the first marathon buildup that she didn't have anything negatively impact her in terms of illness or injury. Now, every once in a while, you get some sorenesses here and there. I think the only thing negative that's impacted her during this buildup was her grandpa got really sick in the hospital on the East Coast, and so she went back to Philadelphia at the beginning of September for a week to spend some time with him while he was in the hospital. And so emotionally, that can be a little bit draining, but it's not like it negatively impacted her health. And she was able to compete at the Rock and Roll Philly invite that, or uh, half marathon that same weekend as a way to just get in her long run since she was already planning on being back on the East Coast. And so on paper, I think she's a question mark to a lot of people. Like, how is she going to do on the day? But I think from our perspective, we can say this is the, the healthiest she's been going into a marathon. 
She's raced four marathons previously, and each one has come with their own challenges. Her first one at CIM, she was undertrained for because she was fresh out of college, getting back from backpacking Europe, and just wanting to see how the distance felt. In her second marathon buildup with, uh, uh, with her previous coach, she, she was anemic. In her third marathon buildup, she was coming off of the fracture in the fibula from rolling her ankle while running downhill and spent a lot of that buildup going into the Olympic trials on the Alter G. And then in Chicago last year, she had a, a foot injury going into the U.S. Olympic track trials that creeped up three days before the race where she dislocated the cuboid bone in her foot. And so it didn't allow her to compete the way that she, she actually ended up having to drop out of that race because her calves started spasming from trying to favor that bone that she decided to switch gears and do Chicago on a shortened buildup because it was the frustration of not seeing the reward for the track training that she put in. She felt very confident in where she was at fitness wise going into the track trials. And it was unfortunate to see it get, she got fortunate with how she was able to respond with the marathon trials, got unfortunate with the way she, her body responded with the track trials. And so Chicago last year was kind of that, like, making up the difference emotionally for what she didn't get from the track trials. So it was a 10-week buildup, which was short, but she still performed decently. She PR'd by almost two minutes and placed 10th at Chicago last year and third American. And so this is really the first buildup where we feel the consistency has been there with a track, with, with a marathon training. She's been consistently training now since the beginning of April, hasn't really had a break in training and she's consistently been at 90 to 100 miles a week since the end of June. And so we can look, okay, well, yes, you had all these hiccups going through winter, going through spring, but now summer's been really consistent, and you're also at the higher point of your volume that you've been in three plus years. And so we know that she's in PR shape, hoping that the weather cooperates where it's not too hot, not too windy. She, we know that she'll have people to, people to run with. It's a good American field. We know Jordan Hesse's in there, Becky Wade's in there, Sarah Crouch, Megan Christian. They have a good international field. We know that with the, the men and women starting together, there's going to be guys around her that she can run with. We know Becky's fiance is running in there. We know Sarah Crouch's husband's running in there. That'll all be around the same pace that they all want to try to hit, which is sub 230. And so... We can look at it like we know she's in PR shape. She's run 234.00 at Chicago last year, and every marathon that she's done has been a PR by almost two minutes, if not more. So a PR we know is possible, probable on the day, but everyone wants to be a sub-230 marathoner, and that's the fitness that we feel like she's capable of running, and so that's what she's going to look to try to do and try to work with people that are in there to make it happen on the day. Because at the end of it, whether you're first or you're 20th and you're, you're a sub-230 marathoner, like there's only very few women that can say that. And so as everyone starts to look ahead towards the 2020 Olympic trials, we know Noah and Aaliyah's primary focus will be the marathon trials. Both of them would also like to be on the track in the 10K trials. But these next couple of years are making steps to be able to put them in a position to compete best on that day. 
And this will be no different. This will be one of those steps where we look to set marks that, one, get them into the trials, but also put them in the conversation of potential contenders on that day. So sub-230 on the women's side, sub-215, sub-213 on the men's side are people that would be in that conversation. So I'm excited to see how they'll do. I know that there's been some challenges, not just with all the athletes, but with, with those two on, as part of their buildups, but they're both training and mentally in good places heading into the race. They're both excited to see what they can do on the day. And if you're not excited to run a world marathon major, it's, there's very few events that can that can increase the level of excitement as, as, as something like a Chicago marathon, like a New York City marathon, like a Boston marathon. And so we'll see kind of where where their 2018 will start to take shape based off what they do on Sunday. And so from a coaching side, I'm excited to see how they handle the distance, but also it allows me to start game planning for what next year might look like as we start looking ahead towards the 2020 track trials. Now from our group side, we're obviously very excited that we've been able to um, partner with, with a an exciting shoe sponsor in 361 who we mentioned in our previous con- in our previous podcast. We love their footwear. The the people over there have been great and we're excited to to now have the room to add a couple new athletes. And so we'll, we'll be adding two potentially three athletes this fall. We know that we're already adding one guy, one girl, and w- once we do add them, we'll announce them and we'll also have them on one of these podcasts to kind of tell their backstory. And we're excited about the potential that those athletes will will give to our group. So we've got some good things on the horizon. We've had some pretty decent performances over this past year. Obviously, we've also had some some performances that we'd like to forget, but all of those come within the context of adjusting to altitude, adjusting to a new training system, adjusting to being healthy when it comes to training, adjusting to what it means to be a post-collegiate athlete, adjusting to what it means to be an adult, trying to structure lifestyle accordingly. And so that's one of the things that I wanted to emphasize with this podcast is there's been ups and downs with everybody, but it's interesting as the coach to kind of sit back and see those ups and downs, see how the athletes themselves respond and know that Every new athlete we add, every athlete we lose, there's going to be turnover within the sport. Every team goes through it. There's new rosters almost annually. Where you see the biggest improvement curve is when you're in the same system, same training, year after year and able to stay healthy. And so I'm hopeful with the current crop of athletes that we have and the potential athletes that we will be adding that if we can see that consistency, if we can see their health cooperate, that they'll all have the ability to develop similarly to athletes that we've had in the past and similarly to, to how Noah and Aaliyah have currently. All right, well, that's all I've got for tonight. Like I said, we'll do a post-race interview with Aaliyah and Noah to get their perspective on how they felt Chicago Marathon went. If you haven't done so already, please check out the 361 Shoes. We're excited for the direction they're heading in in the American footwear industry. 
and feel extremely grateful to have them on our side and confident that you'll you'll enjoy the the footwear as well and keep an eye out for some of our future podcasts we've got some cool topics coming ahead especially as we as i partner with my assistant coach jeff to talk about some of the science of training and and injury rehab all right hope you enjoyed talk to you guys soon bye